Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Spirit of Prophecy podcast. Appreciate you joining me today. We are going to have another exciting episode. And this, or t- for this particular episode, we're going to watch a video where we are going to answer questions for post-trib believers. Now, when you watch this video uh, and I'm answering these questions, you're going to think I'm just going after an easy target, but I'm not because this video uh, was shared by uh, Independent Fundamental Baptist Preacher and he thought it was excellent and uh, understand this is ridiculous. This is a reminder of just how weak the pre-tribulation doctrine is and these questions that he brings up, the arguments that he makes, these are common arguments in the pre-trib world and I'm embarrassed for them. And uh, Baptist, if you don't want to be, if you want to be respected for your position, you cannot use shameful arguments like this, and you cannot promote shameful arguments like this. And uh, if people are going to do that, and if pre-tribbers aren't going to call out this kind of thing, then uh, I'm going to call it out and uh, connect connect all of you to it. And that might not be completely fair, but I'm doing it anyway. And so uh, let's go ahead and start watching this video. This is done with great arrogance. I don't know who this individual is. I can't read what the thing says. It's a TikToker. Uh, so we're just going to call him the tattooed TikToker because um, that's kind of his notable characteristics. And so uh, I'm addressing his video. So that uh, is an official invite to him on this program. And I would glad if he wants to come on this program and talk about these questions that he asked in this video. We can do that if he feels like uh, he's up to it after hearing the answers to these questions. What he doesn't get to do is go run to 20 different stupid questions uh, trying to get me to chase rabbits. No, we'll talk about these dumb questions that he asks and the dumb arguments he made that we are going to cover in here that some think are excellent. So uh, let's go watch this and see what y'all think. Post-trib rapture holders out there. So we go to Matthew 16, 18, where Jesus is speaking to Peter, and he is saying that on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So clearly, Peter tells Jesus that the gates of Hades shall not prevail against the church. But we go to Revelation 13, 7, where we see it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, to prevail against them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. So was Jesus lying in Matthew 16, verse 18, that the gates of Hades would never prevail against the church, but now in the tribulation, because according to you, the church is going through the tribulation, the Antichrist and the gates of Hades overcome the church, the saints, according to your belief. What's going on? What's going on there? Did Jesus lie? How do you answer that? How do you reconcile Matthew 16, 18, the gates of Hades will not prevail against the church. Revelation 13, 7, the Antichrist overcomes, prevails against the saints. Now, I personally believe the saints found in Revelation 13, 7 are the tribulation saints who are saved after the rapture, the removal of the restrainer, the removal of the church. Addition to that question, I... All right, so we'll stop right there. So again, notice the um, you know the arrogance, the attitude uh, of the tattooed t- 
TikToker right there. So this is probably one of the worst arguments that I've ever heard. But he wants us to reconcile. You know, when Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church, apparently that means that there can be no kind of defeat of any kind against saved people. Well, so here's my question. Did the gates of hell prevail against James? Did Jesus lie to James in Acts 12 when it says, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword? Did the gates of hell just prevail against one of the members of the church? I mean, was Jesus lying to James when he said that? Wait, oh, wait a minute. Jesus told the disciples in the world, you shall have tribulation. That Sometimes we suffer. Sometimes we are killed. Did Jesus lie to all the martyrs throughout the last 2,000 years who you know, governments and false religions prevailed over them physically and killed them? Is this a guarantee Christians are never going to go through any kind of physical persecution? What kind of argument? Is this And when you have to ask the question, did Jesus lie? Do you really think anybody has the position out there that oh, Jesus lied? Let's be honest. Sometimes there's different understandings people have of things, different ways they interpret stuff. Nobody's out there claiming Jesus lied. Okay, If somebody gets up like, no, Jesus was lying when he said that they were going to, you know, that they would go through tribulation. In reality, we don't go through the tribulation. Jesus was lying. No, obviously... We have might have a different definition of what tribulation is. In the pre-trib world, tribulation and the wrath of God are the same thing. But in the Bible, tribulation and the wrath of God are not the same thing. Paul told the Thessalonian church that they were appointed to tribulation, and it came upon them. That is, Jesus told disciples in the world they would have tribulation. Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We're all going to go through these things. I mean, so according to history, pretty much all the apostles except John were martyred. So did the gates of hell prevail over them? And he went to, so he went to Revelation 13, 7. It was given him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And apparently that's the gates of hell prevailing over the church. He doesn't even understand Matthew 16, what Jesus is talking about there. He was, you know, he's going through the coast of Caesarea Philippi. This place was a very uh, pagan place where you know there was all these beliefs about the underworld and the powers of darkness there. And Jesus is just showing them, hey, you have power over those things. Those things aren't going to prevail against the church. We have spiritual victory even now, but sometimes the world has a physical victory over us. And so notice in Revelation 13, it says that he overcame them meaning physically, and in Revelation 12, 11, it says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. What does that mean? Here it says that they overcame him. They overcame the devil. Why? Because they loved not their lives to the death, meaning they died. So physically, the devil often prevails over us but overall we prevail over him because we're not going to stay dead so this is a dumb argument baptist do you really think this is an excellent argument this was a stupid argument the church has been christians have been prevailed over physically many times throughout history 
But, you know, God doesn't see it that way because it's not the end of the story. We're going to rise again and we're going to rule and reign with Christ a thousand years. So stupid, stupid argument right there. Dumb question. He doesn't understand Matthew 16. He doesn't understand Revelation. Doesn't understand anything. So let's go ahead and watch some more of this. See if he has any other good questions for us. I have another question. So we see in Romans 11, 11, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, speaking about Israel, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Focus in on provoke them to jealousy. Now, if the church goes through the tribulation, Jacob's trouble Jeremiah 30, verse 7, Alas, for that day is great, the tribulation, so that none is like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob is Israel. Jacob turned into Israel. But he shall be saved out of it. How would the church going through Jacob's trouble, not the church's trouble, but Israel's trouble, how would us going through the tribulation provoke them to jealousy? Or would maybe a pre-tribulation rapture that catches away, snatches away the bride of Christ, those who have believed in the Jewish Messiah, maybe that's what provokes the Jews because now they need to go through their trouble, Jacob's trouble. For the tribulation has a purpose, and the purpose is to bring unbelieving Israel back in to belief. And if the church is still there, what is Israel going to be jealous about? And if the church is going through the tribulation, what's the need for the 144,000 believing Jews to preach the gospel? All right, I'm going to stop right there. So again, these questions show a very high level of ignorance. Okay, If you're going to ask questions to post-tribbers, you might want to learn what they actually teach, because then a lot of your questions would be answered right away. But first of all, he just is telling you that what provokes the Jews to jealousy is the rapture and that they're not here for the tribulation. There is nothing in Romans 11 to indicate that that's what it's talking about. Absolutely nothing. In fact, everything that Paul's talking about in Romans 11 was true in that day. When he said in Romans 11, 11, I say then have they stumbled that they should fall, God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation is, is come unto the Gentiles to provoke them to jealousy. What was supposed to provoke them to jealousy was the work that God was doing with the Gentiles in that day. There's, there's nothing in there about, no, God's going to provoke them to jealousy by removing them from the earth and leaving them there for tribulation. It's not there. Now, I've heard preachers say that. I've, I've heard them say that. But there is nothing in Romans 11 to indicate that. All indications are that Paul is saying they're provoked to jealousy in that day, in his day, 2,000 years ago, he said in verse 14, if by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. In that day, Paul's trying to get Jews saved and he's trying to provoke them to emulation. He's saying God's provoking them to jealousy through the work he was doing with the Gentiles in that day. Salvation is come to the Gentiles. He thinks the provoking's in the future. He didn't get that from Romans 11. He probably did get that from a pre-trib preacher that he heard. I, I'm assuming this guy's not a preacher. I would think he'd have better arguments and uh, know a little bit more about the Bible because it's clear he's not familiar with all of Romans 11, but he has heard talking points from a pulpit probably, and he obviously has not read the entire chapter. 
And so he thinks the provoking is in the future. Also, he mentioned where the, you know, the Bible um, talking about the 144,000 witnesses, 144,000 witnesses. And he's saying, you know, if the church is removed, you know, why does God need the 144,000 witnesses? He needs them, you know, because the church is gone. Okay. Now I asked, I just asked somebody this the other day who knows the Bible very well. And it, it was funny. They were, they were stumped. Okay. I'm going to ask you a question. This is going to offend a lot of people. Where does the Bible say, or where does the Bible call the 144,000 witnesses? Where does it, where does it say that? You didn't get that term from the Jehovah's Witnesses, did you? Because where do we see them witnessing in Revelation 7 or 14? It ain't there. In fact, where does it say they preach the gospel? Can you please show me that? In Revelation 7 or 14? Oh, what else would they be doing? I'm just asking you. Where are you getting your theology, your terminology, when it comes to the 144,000 witnesses? Where are you getting that? It sounds like you're borrowing stuff from the Jehovah's Witnesses because it's not in, go read Revelation 7 and 14. Look for the word witness, witnesses. Look for them witnessing. It calls them servants. Oh, well, if they're servants, they're going to witness. Well, maybe, maybe but the Bible doesn't say that. So all of a sudden we have created this doctrine where uh, only the 144,000 witnesses, and the Bible doesn't use that term, can witness to the Jews. Uh, that was weird. He, uh, that that doesn't make any sense, and you know, and not trying to pick on the tattoo TikToker, but a lot of people use this. A lot of people use this as proof of stuff. So I show you all that to just show this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He's repeating talking points that he has heard, and he's displaying his ignorance. Let's watch some more. You would have the church that could do that, but since the church won't be there. 144,000 is necessary to get the gospel out. And also, why is Jesus preparing a place for us in heaven, John chapter 14, if the post-tribulation rapture happens, we go up in the clouds and come back immediately to rule and reign down here for the millennial kingdom? So why was he preparing places in heaven for us? Maybe it's because he's preparing places for us in heaven to spend seven years up there where we're not supposed to be forever, because we come back down with him, Revelation 19, on our white horses, to then go into the millennial kingdom down here. Also, why? Okay. Again, I normally would never address a video like this. I, I just wouldn't because it's too easy. Uh, but the fact that um, it's being shared by Baptists, and Baptists do use a lot of these talking points, I, I think it is appropriate to do that. But he said, why is Jesus preparing us a place in heaven? As if when Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, it's like, because I, I need you guys have a place for you guys to camp for seven years uh, while the tribulation is going on. Um, okay, so first off, in the pre-wrath position, we're still going to be up there during the trumpets and the vials. So we still have time in case we need that temporary place to camp out for just a few years. <laughs> but uh, why... Why can't he be talking about the new Jerusalem? Why, why do you just assume it's a temporary camping spot that we hang out until the tribulation 
is over. Why couldn't he be referring to what it talks about in Revelation 21.1? says, And I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming from down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And remember what Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So he's preparing a place where we can dwell together forever. Well, where is that going to be? New Jerusalem. Oh, man. This is like a little kid arguments that he's bringing up. But folks, this is all pre-tribbers have. It's all they have. And it works. It works when you are in a pulpit where you're not going to be challenged, you know, or you're just, you know, you're in a situation where you're in an echo chamber, uh, you know, and, but again, he's putting this stuff out on the internet. This can be challenged and this is easily challenged and easily displayed to be absolutely foolish. Again, if we need a temporary camping place, we've got it. You know, there's still room for it, just not as long. Uh, but at the same time too, I think it's talking about the new Jerusalem that he was going to prepare because that's where we're going to dwell with him. So sorry, buddy. Let's keep trying. Let's see what else you got. Are the Thessalonians shaken and in fear when they got the false letter thinking it was from Paul telling them that they are going through the tribulation for wouldn't they be happy if they believed in the post tribulation rapture, because they now know they are going through the tribulation and Jesus will be back soon. They can know, but they're not happy. They are in fear and shaken because they thought they missed their rapture because that's what Paul told them about before. And now they get this new letter and they're shaken thinking they missed the rapture. And that's why Paul has to remind them. Do you not remember? I told you these things first, this needs to happen and you're not going to be here because the restrainer will be removed. The apostasia, which is the defaction, spiritual defaction, which is the rapture. The Holy spirit will defect, will go away using the church as the restrainer. And then the Antichrist shall rise. You're not going to be here for that. Stop being scared. Do you not remember what I told you? Again, logically, if the Thessalonians believed in a post-trib rapture, why would they be scared if they were going through the tribulation? They would be happy because they're going to see their Messiah soon. But no, they did not believe in a post-trib rapture. They believed in the blessed hope. On top of that, Paul tells us, comfort. Okay. <laughs> This this was so bad. All right, so first off, the apostasia is the rapture. I mean, I've heard people say that the falling away is a rapture, like we're falling off the planet as we're flying up, uh, that that's the falling away. But apostasia, uh, usually they use that to talk about a departing from the faith. But uh, to this guy, the apostasia is the believers going away, the Holy Spirit being removed from the earth. And I did a whole video about what the restrainer is. I, I'm not going to repeat all that. Uh, you can go on, on the channel and see, um, I forgot what it's called, but it's about the restrainer uh, in 2 Thessalonians 2. But he's asking the question. And no, just This guy just said so many things that were false. But at first they were, they were afraid they missed the rapture. Now this guy's not a King James guy, but in other versions it'll say... Um, 
you know, that you not be soon shaken in mind, something along the lines, or be troubled neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, is that the day of the Lord has already come. That's how some other versions will say it, that like it already, that it already happened. Um, and so that's where people get the idea that they were worried that they missed the rapture. Okay. All right. Now, how dumb do we think the Thessalonians were? I mean, what event took place during that time that would make them think that the rapture happened? Uh, I, you know, I, I have no idea if we just let the Bible speak for itself. I think it's not that hard to figure out. First off, it says it doesn't say that it's already come. It's that the day of Christ is at hand. Now, there's a lot of reasons that they could fear. The Bible does not tell us, okay? But one reason they could be fearing that the day of Christ is at hand is we know they were already in tribulation during this time. Paul talked about it in 1 Thessalonians. We also see it in the book of Acts when he's in Thessalonica. This church was already under heavy persecution. And so maybe they're afraid that they're thinking, oh, man, if it's all about to go down, it's about to just get a whole lot worse. So they're even more freaked out. But here's another reason, too, they could have been uh, concerned, too, is the fact this was a very new church. These were very new Christians. And like Paul, they wanted to be in a better spiritual condition at the coming of Christ. Christians today don't really care about that. In the Bible, we can see many references that Paul made to that about being ready for the coming of Christ, to not be sleeping. Uh, you know, Paul wanted to attain unto the resurrection of the dead. There was a very focused effort during that time by the Christians, and this is taught in the epistles of Paul, to to sanctify yourselves and to be ready for the coming of Christ and to not be ashamed that is coming, all these things. Today, we don't think about that. Today, we just want to hurry up and get out of here and just, you know, get us away from our troubles on this earth, even though things aren't that bad on this earth. And so um, there's, there's a bunch of reasons. Paul doesn't tell us why. But he's just going to assume, you know, that first off, these other versions are correct, that they just were scared that they missed the rapture. But no, he's saying that, you know, don't be afraid or don't let anybody deceive you that the day of Christ is at hand. And I and so there's a lot of reasons they could have been concerned for that. But all of it, everything he said was just absolutely 100 percent false. And you just kind of kind of have to be embarrassed for the guy. He's telling them, no, there's some things that have to happen before all these things happen. Before, you know, you've got, we've got to have the apostasia, meaning the taking out of the believers. This is bad. This is really, really bad. Uh, and again, uh, the tattooed TikToker, or whatever his name is, he's invited to come and talk about these very things. I'd love to go through 2 Thessalonians 2 with him and, uh, see him continue while being challenged to try to prove that the apostasia is the removal of the believers uh, from the earth. That's pretty funny. But then I, I cut it off here, but he's getting ready to use the comfort one another with these words that I just made a video about. Check this out. Comfort one another with these words. How is that comforting to know that you are going to go through hell on earth. There's going to be scorpions stinging each other, everybody. There's going to be earthquakes, tornadoes, all hell is going to break loose. Evil will go off the chain. How are you going to comfort each other with these words? You know, okay, well, it's going to be hell on earth. Evil is going to be just off the chain. Um, there's going to be murder. There's going to be rape. There's going to be destruction beyond all belief. But, hey, you know what? 
be encouraged and comfort each other with these words. Okay, again, the arrogance. The folks, I'm trying to be nice. He's saying when Paul, this is what he just did. When Paul said, wherefore, comfort one another with these words, he interprets that to mean comfort each other that you're not going to go through tribulation. Now, that does not make sense when, again, this church was in tribulation. This church was literally in, they were literally in tribulation and they were, they were being persecuted. A lot of bad things was going on during that time. In fact, in first Timothy or not in first Thessalonians three, one chapter earlier in verse four, he says, for verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass. And ye know, so this church was in tribulation and you know what? Some of them, the, according to this guy, the gates of hell had prevailed over because they were dead. And so what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. What's he, what's he talking about? Those who had died, those who were asleep, those who were probably killed in tribulation, those that according to this guy... The gates of hell prevailed over. It says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. So far, all three of these verses add reference to those who are asleep, those who are dead in Christ. For the Lord himself should ascend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ, four verses in a row, shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain should be caught up together with them. Five verses in a row were the dead in Christ. Those asleep are referenced. To meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The comforts that they're going to see their loved ones again. Why can't people figure that out? And here's the thing too. All right, Baptists, you got to start, you, you, you have to start confessing your, your failures and your flaws and your mistakes. You got to stop pretending you never made these mistakes. You made these mistakes and you have to, con- you have to confess these things. Otherwise, you are going to discredit yourselves to, to yourselves, to your congregations. But Baptist preachers for years have gone to their pulpits And they have said, wherefore, comfort one another with these words to comfort their people that they wouldn't go through the tribulation. And then those same Baptist preachers will go to a graveside and will use those words to comfort the people there that they will see their loved ones again. They preach it right at a graveside and at a funeral, and then they preach it wrong in their congregations when they're trying to teach a pre-tribulation rapture. And all of you have done it. You've done it both ways. How can you do that? The comfort is that they will see their loved ones again. I expect stuff like this from a tattooed TikToker. I do not expect it from Baptist preachers. Yet, they are just as guilty as this guy when it comes to this stuff. So, you know, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. I I get it. I mean, this guy is so carnal. He had a crown of thorns tattooed on his neck. You know, Baptist, you ought to know a little bit better than this. So, see what else this guy has. So far, nothing. Do you think it's bad and lawless right now? Wait until every Christian is removed. Right now, 
The Holy Spirit through the church is the restrainer keeping the lawlessness back from overflowing. It's like a dam. It's like the Hoover Dam. The church is the Hoover Dam and the water is the evil. Right now, evil is just piling on and the church is restraining it through the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit is restraining it through the church. Imagine the lawlessness once we are gone. Also, you have Paul telling us that we are not appointed to God's wrath. And I know there's the mid-trib pre-wrath holders out there. The first seal that Jesus breaks is his wrath. He is implementing it. He is breaking the seal and pouring out his wrath through that breaking of the seal. The entire seven-year tribulation is God's wrath, and we are not appointed to it. Not Okay, okay. So he just told us, and you're just supposed to believe this, and many of you do because Larkin's chart trumps the Bible. He said the first seal is God's wrath. Okay, let's read it. Revelation 6.1, And I saw the Lamb open one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, a noise of thunder, and the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. That's God's wrath. Uh, according to this guy. Um, now, we're not going to read all of chapter 6, but let's jump to the fifth seal. Let's go. Let's take a look at something. Same chapter, fifth seal. And when, verse 9, when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altars the souls, not the bodies, the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord? Holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Um, according, if these people are right, the Lord should have responded, what do you think I've been doing for the last four seals? But no, they're like, how long? And boy, these people aren't very patient. These are just the, you know, tribulation martyrs. You know, they can't wait three and a half years. They can't wait seven years. No, these are the martyrs from all time saying how long does that not avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth because it's been a long time but yes he hasn't been avenging his blood yet jesus is breaking these seals revealing to john things that are going to come to pass when he breaks the seventh seal i believe when we open and he opens a book in there is the wrath of god after and, and that happens you know after we're gone in Revelation chapter 7. So, um, yeah, it says, And white robes are given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed, as they were, should be fulfilled. Did the gates of hell prevail against those people? No. He said, there's been martyrs throughout time. And they're like, how long does that not avenge? According to these people, Jesus was already doing it. He's been doing it for four seals. No, he hasn't. His wrath hasn't started yet. In fact, when we go to Revelation 14, verse 9, it says, The third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, if you do this, the same, those who take the mark, shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation and shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb. That's saying, if you take the mark, the wrath of God will be poured out on you. You know what that tells me? It hasn't been poured out yet. Uh, I mean, that's just common sense. That's just plain reading of the text right there. But no, uh, in pre-tribulation doctrine, we don't just read the text. Uh, we 
read the text in light of Larkin's charts, and then we uh, just force things to fit no matter how much they don't fit. This is So, uh, again, he just told you the first seal is God's wrath. It doesn't show you anywhere in the scripture where it says it was God's wrath. So, um, very, very lame argument. So, let's... We don't have a whole lot left. Let's see what else he's got. To mention, don't you think the bridegroom would want his bride up there to see him in all his glory when he breaks the seals and pours out judgment upon an unbelieving world? Or no, he's going to be a wife beater. He's going to pour out his judgment and his wrath upon his bride, the church. I don't think so. We are going to be up there praising him. We're going to be up there glorifying him, watching our redeemer, our king, who we are now his bride, pour out judgment upon an unbelieving world. You better believe our Messiah is not a wife beater. <laughs> Jesus, the Jesus is not a wife beater argument. And this, and Baptists use this argument too. This is ignorance of epic proportions. Back when I was on the fence about this doctrine, I was listening to a sermon by someone I knew uh, who was debunking the post-trib doctrine. And I'll never forget it. I was in a McDonald's drive-thru, and just as the ladies handed my food, the preacher's like, do you really think that the Lord is going to punch, or that Jesus is going to punch his bride right before he takes his bride? And the lady just looked at me, and I, I was just, I, I didn't know what to say. I didn't, I didn't know how to explain what he said. It was just so stupid. And I, I remember listening to that, wanting the guy to debunk the post-trib teaching. And I'm just, I was just cringing through the whole thing because it was terrible. These were not honest arguments. And why is it that pre-tribbers, okay, I'm talking to you, the honest ones, okay? I'm talking to the ones who love the Lord, who love the Bible, who love truth. Why do you sit there and amen and support bad, foolish, dumb straw men arguments like this. Okay, because here's the thing. If believers going through tribulation makes Jesus a wife beater, then he's been a wife beater for 2,000 years. The Thessalonians went through tribulation. The apostles were persecuted, were martyred. Believers throughout history have been martyred. This is by the world. And go look at the at the seals. Okay, These things are things that have always been on the world. These are not supernatural events taking place yet. Okay. A man going forth, conquering to conquer. There have been conquerors in the past who have killed a lot of people. A lot of Christians wars have killed a lot of people. That is a natural occurrence. Famines, pestilences, earthquakes. These are all common things that take place. It's not until we get to the seals and the, or the vials and the trumpets where we start seeing the supernatural things take place. So understand, no, Jesus is not a wife beater, but Christians going through tribulation, Jesus said, in the world, ye shall have tribulation. I thought you weren't a wife beater. So why would you say this? He, he literally said in here to share this. He says at the end to share this with your post-trib family and stuff. Um, why? You're going to make your side look bad by making these arguments that no post-tribber is going to fall for because no post-tribber thinks Jesus is a wife beater. Nobody's trying to claim that. But according to this guy, based on his logic, Jesus has been a wife beater for 2,000 years. But we all know that's ridiculous. 
Jesus is not a wife beater. And there's going to be great rewards for the suffering that we go through on this earth at the hands of man. This is not something done at the hands of God. God allows it to take place. And again, in Revelation, as he's breaking those seals, he's showing John things. He's showing John things. People see those seals being broken as God bringing judgment. No, he's breaking those seals on that book. What's he doing? He's revealing a little more of the story. That's what he's doing. He's revealing more about events to come. It's not until, it, it, it's not even explicitly stated that he's pouring out his wrath until you get to the vials and he goes in the temples and he pours out those vials on the earth. That is for sure God pouring his wrath out on the earth. These other things is just him revealing to John things that are going to come. Bad argument. And if you have ever used the Jesus is the wife beater, not a wife beater argument to debunk a post-trib, you are either ignorant or very dishonest. And you ought to publicly confess your sin in that area. Otherwise, people shouldn't take you serious. So, and I'm not holding my breath. So, here we go. Also, please answer to me, Revelation 3.10, where he Jesus literally tells the Philadelphia church, I will keep you from that hour of trial that is going to come upon the earth. To keep you, to receive you, to catch you up. It's more insane to think that that interpretation is, oh, well, believers will be protected here in the world from the evil. What? That's more That's more logical and easier to think about than just being caught up in the air and being with him in heaven, which there's so much, so much evidence to prove that. No, it makes more sense to think that he's going to supernaturally protect every single Christian here when all hell on earth is breaking out. Now, again, when you see the way he's, you know, acting, just the arrogance, the disgust, like what is wrong with you? It's like, it's clear based on how dumb these questions are. He's, I don't think he's ever actually sat down and talked to a post-tribber. He's heard things about them. You know, he's, he's heard things. He's heard misrepresentations. But has he ever actually sat down and talked to one? And listen, you sitting down and telling off a post-tribber is not you actually having a conversation. I've had some that want to have a conversation, but they don't listen. They just want to preach to me. And then they do stuff like this. They don't even give you a chance to respond. It's like, dude, I have heard all these stupid arguments before. There is a response, but you don't want to hear it. I, so they do. They sit there and they ask these questions. I'm just waiting for some post-tribber to come answer this. Well, why don't you actually talk to one? Okay? Listen, tattooed TikToker, come on this program. Let's talk about all these questions. All right? I want you to prove to me that the seals are God's wrath. Okay? I want you to prove to me that first seal was God's wrath. I want you to display from the scriptures how Christians going through persecution and being killed is Jesus being a wife beater. I, I need you to explain to me how, how Jesus wasn't beating his bride when they were suffering in the first century and throughout history. Okay? Obviously, that's ridiculous to say that Jesus was beating his bride and all that went down. And it's ridiculous to say that about the future. Okay. So don't, don't you act all frustrated. You act, you haven't been talking to people. There's no way. Okay. And, and doing a stupid straw man arguments through YouTube comments, TikTok comments, that doesn't count. All right. Tattoo TikToker, you're invited. Come on, come on the program and, uh, let's talk, let's talk about these things. I, I don't think you're going to want to.
But all right, let's watch the final uh, final section here. Don't get me started on all the typologies: Noah and the Ark, Elijah, Enoch, Lot. You have typologies everywhere in the Bible. Everywhere. The truth is the pre-tribulation rapture. If you don't want to believe it, that's fine. It's not a salvation issue, but I'm telling you what, the joy and the peace that comes from it because it is our blessed hope. We are supposed to use this to encourage one another and to help comfort one another. There is a purpose for it. And with that, I love you guys all so much, no matter what you believe. And go ahead and tag your friends and family who believe in the post-trib rapture on this video. God bless, guys. All right, so first off, he mentioned the typologies, Enoch, Noah. Well, that works for pre-wrath too. Because again, pre-wrath teaches we're taken out before God pours out his wrath. We have a different definition of the wrath. People always use Noah, Enoch, uh, and, and Enoch's a bad one too. He got taken out over 600 years before the flood. Over 600 years. But either way, some people use the flood as symbolic of the tribulation. Uh, well, I would use it maybe as symbolic of God's wrath. And, but e either way, that the argument works for both sides. That is not a slam dunk for the pre-tribbers. No, that takes us right back to the what is wrath and what is tribulation. Are they the same thing? And no, they are not. They are not the same thing because tribulation has been going on for 2,000 years. But God's wrath has not been poured out yet. So does it work? He said this is our blessed hope. But what does it say? In Titus 2.11, it says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of a great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So you see blessed hope, and my blessed hope is that I won't have to go through any tribulation. Is that what he's talking about there? Or is he even talking about how to live godly? In, cha in Titus chapter 1 and 2. Has he been talking about the tribulation and God's wrath that is to come? Or has he been talking about how a Christian should live? And that sometimes it's difficult for us to do that. But we have the blessed hope that one day we're going to see Christ and we're going to be like him. And because we have that hope, we purify ourselves even as he is pure. And we are looking for him and we are waiting for him to come and change us and make us more like him. My blessed hope is that I am going to be just like Christ one of these days. And that's going to happen at his glorious appearing. Because when Christ, our life, shall, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we also appear with him in glory. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. That's my blessed hope, that one of these days, this dirty, rotten flesh is going to go away and it's going to be changed into a new, glorious body like Christ. I'm looking for that righteousness. I'm looking for that new body. And my and it's my blessed hope that I will get it when I see Jesus. That's my blessed hope. Not that I'm not going to have any tribulation. Where on earth are you getting these things, people? You are not getting this theology from the Bible. Pre-tribulation doctrine is not biblical. These are not excellent arguments. These are ridiculous, ignorant, foolish, straw man arguments. These are foolish questions, and this proves nothing. And Baptists, if you don't want to be lumped in with this kind of thing, don't share stuff like this, and definitely don't use these arguments, and you know you have. You know you've used at least one or more of these arguments. 
if you are a pre-tribber and you ought to be ashamed of yourself and publicly admit your error so you can, with a good conscience, stand before your people and they can also have confidence that they have an honest man who is doing his best to preach the truth to them, stand before them. But either way, uh, I hope this was uh, enjoyable for you today. And I, again, I don't know who this guy is. I, I asked who it was on the Twitter page that had shared this video. I never got any response. But, uh, but to the tattooed TikToker, bless your heart, uh, you are invited on this program to talk about these questions. And I don't know if you're going to want to after actually hearing the answer, but I would be glad to have a conversation with you. So anyway, thank you all for watching this. We will see you all tomorrow.